Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in this atmosphere of worship and praise, great music, these wonderful old hymns as well as new songs, we can be completely immersed as we remind ourselves of your love for us. It is on that basis that we are to love one another. Lord, I pray that you'd bring home all of the lessons that we have learned over the past many weeks in this series on the Ten Commandments, all summed up by this one commandment, to love one another. Lord, part of our worship extends into our listening, that we would give careful attention to your word as your spirit would be wanting to speak to us. And we pray that our own hearts would be refreshed as we do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Somebody once said, love may not make the world go round, but it sure makes the trip more enjoyable. And that little statement expresses the universal sentiment that The sweetest of all human emotions is love. Well, the last 16 weeks we have looked at God's top ten, the Ten Commandments. And we have gone through it very slowly, as you know. Um, This is the 17th installment in that study. And we have taken one week, in some cases two weeks per commandment. And the reason we probed so deeply and looked at every word and every nuance and all of the application is because the Ten Commandments are foundational, foundational in Scripture, also foundational for us as a nation. I don't know if you know this, but as you walk up to the Supreme Court building, on the east pediment is a relief, statues cut out in stone of all the great lawgivers lined up, and all of them are turned inward facing Moses as he stands there with the Ten Commandments. Right there on our nation's Supreme Court, the idea that the Ten Commandments are foundational for us and our laws as a nation. Well, today, I've had you turn to John chapter 13. We sort of depart from that, but want to put the icing on the cake of the Ten Commandments study. By looking in the New Testament where Jesus in the upper room, in this beautiful display of humility and love, washes his disciples' feet. And then he turns to them and he gives them a message called the Upper Room Discourse. And in the Upper Room Discourse, he says, Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Well, let's look at it. In verse 34 of John chapter 13, the Lord Jesus speaks, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Every generation has sung about love, spoken about love, written about love, and it would seem still doesn't quite know the definition of love. What does it mean to love? Well, a group of professionals asked some four to eight-year-old kids what love was. And I always love hearing what children think about anything. 
It's very refreshing and sometimes very profound. Well, one child says, This is what love is. When a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and they smell each other. (laughs) Can't you just picture it? (laughs) Another kid says, Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. (laughs) Mommy and Daddy are like that. And they look gross when they kiss. (laughs) One girl said, I let my big sister pick on me because my mom, he says, she only picks on me because she loves me. So I pick on my baby sister because I love her too. (laughs) Another child says, Love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt and then he wears it every day. Ripe. Love is what's on Valentine's Day cards. You know, the stuff we'd like to say, but you'd never be caught dead saying it. And finally, this child, I think, has pretty close to the truth. When my grandma got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandpa does it for her, even when his hands got arthritis too. That, says this child, is love. Well, that certainly is love. Whoever that child was got it very, very close to the biblical standard of love. Now, we notice something in verse 34. This is a commandment that Jesus gives, a commandment to love, which doesn't quite sound right to our ears, does it? Okay, here's an order. Love. Because typically we think, well, love is voluntary, isn't it? Isn't it uh, an emotion that arises spontaneously? Yes and no. Yes, it's voluntary, meaning it's a choice. No, it's not necessarily an emotion that rises spontaneously from the heart. It is given in command form because it is not optional. It is absolutely the summary of all of the commandments given. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 22, on these two, loving God and loving your neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. Now, just a side note, something interesting. I like to study how many times words appear. The word love appears in the Gospel of John from chapters 1 through 12, only 12 times. So about an average of one usage per 12 chapters. Twelve times in chapters 1 through 12. However, in the rest of the Gospel of John, from chapter 13 to 21, guess how many times the word love appears? Forty-four. Now, why is that? Well, number one, we're moving toward the end, the culmination of Jesus' life, and an ultimate demonstration of love is going to be on the cross. And the core value that Jesus wants to pass on to his men, the disciples is that of loving one another. So we find its frequency and its intensity employed as we go through it. Well, we're going to look at this commandment that Jesus gives, and there are several things I want you to notice about it. First of all, it's a substantive commandment. I mean, it's weighty. It's weighty because it's given by the Lord Himself. 
a new commandment I give to you. It's the Lord Jesus himself, incarnate love, who is speaking. The one who said, before Abraham was, I am. The one who appears with Moses, the lawgiver, on the Mount of Transfiguration. The one who said, I did not come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. This is the one who says, I give to you a new commandment. Now, some of you who study the scripture and know it well are thinking, hey, now wait, wait, wait. This isn't new. I've read this before in the Old Testament. And you're right. You're right because it appears, so to speak, in Leviticus chapter 19, the 18th verse, where it reads, Never seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. So what does Jesus mean then when he says, I'm telling you something new. Here's a new commandment. I'm glad you asked. The word new is kainos, kainos. And it does not mean recent. It does not mean new in age or in chronology. If Jesus wanted to use that, he would have turned to a different word, and that is naos. That means new in age or recent. Jesus uses the word kainos, which you could translate it. Here's a fresh commandment. Here's a renewed commandment. Here is something unprecedented. It's not new information, but it is a new application or a renewed application of the old revelation. What Jesus is doing is summing up the last six commandments into one easy-to-remember commandment. You could take all of the last six commandments, the second table of the law, and sum it up with this. It's the irreducible minimum of the last six commandments. As Paul writes in Romans 13, love is the fulfillment of the law. So here's a renewed, fresh, unprecedented in its application commandment. And what is the commandment? What is it that he commands us to do? To love. And you know the word for love. We've talked about it. In fact, it's probably the first word anybody learns when they become a Christian in the Greek language. It's the word agape or agapao, which is the love of the will. And here's something interesting about the word agape, by the way. You find it all over the Bible. And though it's a Greek word, it seems to appear nowhere else in any ancient pagan Greek literature you don't find the word agape. You find other terms that the Greek language employs, but you do not find this word. It seems to be a brand new invention to describe a brand new thing, a brand new way of loving. It is, as I mentioned, the love of the will. It is not a feeling that you can't control. It's a choice that you absolutely can control. It's not a warm response or a fuzzy feeling toward those who are kind and lovable. Very, very different than that. And loving people isn't the same as liking people. I just want to let you off the hook here because, honestly, I don't think you like everyone. And you know what? I don't think you're supposed to like everyone. 
I don't think God likes everyone. I know He loves everyone. But when it comes to attitudes and behaviors and actions that are built into a person's character, God doesn't like that. In fact, the Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day. But at the same time, the attitude, the choice of God's perfect love is toward all people. So William Shakespeare, believe it or not, came very, very close to a perfect definition of agape love in one of his love sonnets. In fact, it was sonnet 116 where he says, Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds, nor bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed mark that looks on tempests and is never shaken. That's very close to the idea of what agape love is in the Scripture. It is the love of the will, the love of choice, not the love of liking or human emotion. So when a husband sits next to a wife with his arms folded across a counseling table and says, I don't love her anymore, know that it's a choice or a series of choices that he has made. So this is a substantive commandment given by the Lord himself. It's renewed. It's fresh. Second thing I want you to notice about this commandment. It's a superlative commandment. That is, Jesus said it is the greatest of all of the commandments that are given. Jesus sums up not just the second part of the Ten Commandments, but all of the Ten Commandments in that word love. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, there was a man who came up to Jesus, and he was a scribe. He was a religious leader. And probably trying to trap the Lord, he said, Okay, what's the first, the greatest commandment? Jesus quickly answered him. You're to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. That is the greatest commandment, the first. But the second is like it. You are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then Jesus said, there is no other commandment greater than these. This then is the crown jewel of all commandments. This is the grand canyon of commandments. This is the pinnacle. This is as high as it gets. And Paul would agree. He wrote that great love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13. And now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. So essentially what Jesus does here is takes all of the Christian life, all of Christian responsibility, and he summarizes it and prioritizes it, saying, do this, love God, love people, and you'll have it wired. It is Christianity in a nutshell. Question, why is this the greatest commandment? Why is this the superlative, most essential of all the commandments? One of the answers is in the way God wired us. God wired human beings to be relational. And the peak of human relation is real love. So that every person craves love. In fact, I would say you would do almost anything in the world to get love. 
If you knew that you would be unconditionally loved for just who you are and that you would have the capacity to give unconditional love, that's what people want. That's what people are searching for. Dr. Carl Menninger, who founded the famous Menninger Clinic, I think, in Topeka, Kansas, before he died, decided to do an experiment. He had several people come into his clinic, and he wanted to find the very core of all of their illnesses. So he, he embarked on an experiment. He told his clinical staff, for the next several months, this is what I want you to do. Everybody that comes to the door, make sure that they are in a, an environment of creative love. His words, creative love. Give them large doses of love, which means... No bad attitudes will be tolerated by you. If I see a bad attitude, you're out of here. I want there to be a pervasive, ongoing atmosphere of creative love. After the experiment, he noted within six months that the average stay of the patients in his clinic was cut in half after that. Cut in half. And he said, love cures people, both the ones who give it as well as the ones who receive it. So what do we have here? We have a fresh, renewed commandment given by Jesus himself to employ the love of the will, to choose to act toward people in a certain way, which is the irreducible minimum, the summary of all of the commandments that are given. The third thing I want you to note is that this is a comparative commandment. In other words, there's a benchmark, there's a standard that Jesus gives so that we can compare our love to that standard to see if we've hit the mark. You see, how do you measure love? It doesn't come in gallons. You can't say, hey, give me uh, 30 gallons of love. That'll last me for a couple months. How do you measure it? Do you measure it in gifts, in flowers, in words? How many I love you's demonstrate real love? I was looking at uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and believe it or not, in 1875, the longest love letter ever written was discovered pretty recently. It was uh, written by a Parisian painter by the name of Marcel de la Clure, who wrote the words, I love you, to his sweetheart, uh, Magdalena de Villalore. He wrote the words, I love you, to her, 1,875,000 times. You're thinking, why? Well, the year was 1875. He wanted to do a thousand times each calendar year. Isn't that romantic? Isn't that sweet? Until you discover that he hired somebody to do the writing. (laughs) It sort of takes the air out of the balloon. (laughs) Is that how you measure love? I love you, 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 I love you. I get it. Or do you measure love by a kiss? The world's longest kiss happened two years ago. July 11th, 2005, two Londoners broke the record. They locked lips for 31 hours and 30 minutes. And they could not separate. That was the rule. They have rules to these things. 
that's gross. Is that how you measure love? I kissed you longer than anyone ever. I've written, I love you, I love you, I love you more than anyone ever. What is the standard? What is the benchmark? Our Lord gives that benchmark to us right here. Love one another, here it is, as I have loved you. I would say He raises the mark. He raises the standard. He raises the bar higher than writing I love you or kissing for a long time. Love people like I love you, Jesus is saying. Not love people in your own way. Love people as you see fit. Love the one you're with. You see, if, if we didn't have this standard of comparison, then love would be nebulous to us. We wouldn't be able to know exactly what Jesus means. And our society is already confused as to what love means. Listen to how we use it. We say, I love sports. I love my wife. I love God. I love chocolate cake. Same word for all of those things. Like the little girl, five years old, she was punished by her parents, sent up to her bedroom without dinner, and she wrote this note, Dear Mom and Dad, I hate you. And she signed it, Love Nicole. Well, turn with me to John chapter 15. This is elaborated on. It's the same night. It's the same upper room. It's the same message to the same disciples. And Jesus elaborates on this new standard of love, modeled after his own love. In chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now that's past tense. Now he turns in the next verse to the future, anticipating his sacrificial death on the cross. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So there's the standard of comparison. Here's the renewed commandment. Here's the unprecedented fresh commandment. It's greater than all of the other commandments. Love. Well, how? Love people like I love you. That's the standard. And what does that mean? Well, how did Jesus love his disciples? With a sacrificial love, number one. A sacrificial love. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I love you guys so much, I'm willing not only to live and impart my words and spend time with you, I'm about to go to the cross and sacrifice my life for you. That's how I want you to love people. With that kind of love. Sacrificial love. Second thing about his love, it's not just sacrificial, it's unconditional. There's no strings attached. It's not the kind of love that just treats people who treat us nicely in a kind fashion. It's unconditional. When Jesus was put upon that cross, what's the first thing he said? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. A third aspect to his love is not that it's just sacrificial, if that weren't enough. It's not that it's just unconditional. It is never-ending, non-reciprocal love. 
That is, Jesus will often love the very worst people who don't always love him back in any capacity. And it's ongoing. In Romans chapter 5, Paul writes, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he describes in that paragraph his love. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't just love people who deserve to be loved. God's love is not just poured out to people who perform to a certain standard or meet a certain mark or are worthy of a certain kind of affection. His love is sacrificial. His love is unconditional. His love is never-ending. His love is non-reciprocal. So, how should a husband love his wife? In a sacrificial, unconditional, never-ending, non-reciprocal way. What kind of love should parents have for their children? Sacrificial, unconditional, never-ending, non-reciprocal. How should a Christian brother love another Christian brother? Sacrificial, unconditional, never-ending, non-reciprocal. Okay, I've got your attention. And right about now you're thinking, that's impossible. I'm not God. I can't do that. And you would be absolutely right in thinking that. You can't do that commandment in your own power. It requires a power greater than yourself for you to pull off the command. That's why we've been given the greatest power to do it, the Holy Spirit living in us, which means every one of us can do it. Again, Romans chapter 5, the fifth verse, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we have the capacity to do it. That's why John writes in 1 John, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You've heard the old saying that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I bet one of the greatest things for God to hear or see is one of his children saying, Lord, I choose to love that person because I want to be like you. I don't feel like it. I don't even like that person. But I'm going to visibly, cognizantly demonstrate love toward that person because I want to be related to you. Not that you earn anything by it, but it simply shows that, as we'll see. Which takes us to our fourth and final look at this 11th commandment, as I call it. It is a substantive commandment given by Jesus himself. It is the superlative greatest commandment. It's a comparative commandment. We're not just to love any way we see fit, but as Jesus loved us. Finally, it demonstrates something about us. It indicates something about who we are when we choose to love this way. And what does it indicate? Well, to ourselves, it's an indication of new life. We prove to ourselves that we're saved. If you ever have any doubts of your salvation, and I believe when you're saved, you're in Christ, you're kept by Christ, but a lot of people have doubts. I knew I was saved yesterday. I don't think I'm saved today. Do you love God's people? John writes this, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love our brothers. So here you have a visible, tangible evidence that you can look at and go, yes, I love God's people. I love them. 
indicates new life. Isn't it funny, though, how sometimes it's easier to love people you never see than those that you see every day? You know, we can have this nebulous, I love everybody, but this person I live with, I just don't really love that person. But I love everybody. It's like Linus in the Peanuts cartoon. He said, I love the world. It's the people I can't stand. (laughs) But ladies and gentlemen, if a Christian cannot love another Christian, how in the world is that Christian going to love the lost? Or love his or her enemies, as Jesus tells us to. If we can't love our brother... So it indicates that we've passed from death into life. Second, it indicates something to the unbelieving world who is watching. It indicates that we're following a new direction. It shows the unbeliever that we're real. Look at the last verse in chapter 13 that we looked at. Verse 35, Jesus says, By this, that is by love, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. They're looking, they're watching, they're scrutinizing, they're examining, and if they don't see us loving one another, they go, it's not real. But if they see us loving one another, they know it is real. By the way, this isn't a one-time deal. In the original language, it's in a tense called the present active subjunctive, which means, I'll translate it, by this the world or all will know that you're my disciples if you keep on having love one for another. So that love is the constant billboard that we keep holding up, keep holding up, keep holding up to the world so they know we're real. How else are they going to know? How else are they going to know? Jesus didn't say, By this shall all men know you're my disciples. By the bumper stickers you have on your car. Honk if you love Jesus. That'll tell everybody. Not, By this shall all men know you're my disciples. By the cool Christian t-shirt that you wear. I'm not opposed to Christian t-shirts. But I am opposed to anybody wearing a Christian t-shirt or having a bumper sticker who doesn't show love. So, we show love to one another, we show the world that we are real. There was a little boy in front of a store. He was pressed up against the store window. His shoes were frayed. His toes were showing it was very cold. He huddled, looking through the window, and a woman walked by and said, What are you doing? He said, I was just standing here asking God for a pair of shoes. Well, she quickly took the young boy into the store, washed his feet, bought six pairs of socks, two pairs of shoes, was paying for it at the register. And as she was turning and ready to leave, she felt a tug on her coat. She looked down. It was a little boy who, with innocent eyes, said, Are you God's wife? (laughs) You know, what you just did reminded me of something God would have done. We, we give away our relationship when as an act of our own will, apart from how we may feel, we choose to give sacrificial, unconditional, never-ending, non-reciprocal love. Now note something. It's very, very important. We're not speaking nebulously here about love. 
In fact, Jesus doesn't even say, the world will know you're my disciples if you love the world, if you love them, if you show your love to people, strangers. He didn't say that, does he? It's specifically, the world will know you're my disciples if you as my followers love my followers, if you love one another. It's Christian to Christian love. That's how they'll know. Did you know that in the early church in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was suspicious of the church. They were gathering in these groups. The Roman Empire didn't know why they were gathering. They thought this new group might be subversive to the Roman government. So they sent spies into the assemblies. Tertullian, one of the church fathers, says that a spy came in to an early Christian assembly and gave this report back to his supervisors. These Christians, he writes, are very strange people. They meet together in an empty room to worship. They do not have an image. They speak of one by the name of Jesus who's absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And my, how they love him. And my, how they love one another. Wouldn't that be a great report? From an unbelieving spy coming into the assembly, watching how we walk in, how we park our cars, how we greet one another, how we prefer one another, and they go, my, how they love one another. So, love is not 1,875,000, I love you, 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 I love you. It's not a 31-hour and 30-minute kiss. It is the love of the will. And the will drives the train of the emotions. I want to close with this story. It's a story that I read some time ago, and it always impacted me every time I did. It's written by a surgeon, a facial surgeon, who had to operate on a woman and he accidentally, not accidentally, he had to, by the nature of the surgery, sever a facial nerve. His name is Dr. Richard Selzer. And after the operation, he said, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies, her face post-operative, her mouth twisted in palsy, clownish, A tiny twig of the facial nerve, one to the muscles of her mouth, has been severed. She will be this way from now on. This surgeon, meaning himself, had followed with religious fervor the curve of her flesh. I promise you that. Nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut the little nerve. Her young husband is also in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed and together... They seem to dwell in the evening lamplight, isolated from me, very private. Who are they, I ask myself? He and this wry little mouth that I have made, who gaze at and touch each other so generously, so greedily. The young woman speaks. Doctor, Will my mouth always be like this? She asks. Yes, I say, it will. It's because the nerve has been cut. She nods, but is silent. And then the young man smiles. I like it, he says. It's kind of cute. 
All at once, I know who he is. I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with a God. Unmindful. He bends to kiss her crooked mouth. And I am so close that I can see how he twists his own lips to accommodate to hers, to show her that their kiss still works. Now, which would you rather have and call love? A 31-hour and 30-minute kiss in London? Or this kind of a kiss of a husband who sacrificially and unconditionally loves a wife who will forever have a palsy on one side of her mouth, but he will accommodate his kiss to show her their kiss still works. Well, Jesus said love like that. That's the new commandment. That's the icing on the commandment cake. That sums it all up. Of course, the ultimate demonstration of love would come several chapters later when Jesus would go to the cross And for the entire world, provide a way that every man, woman, and child throughout history could have a relationship with God as an innocent victim, as a sinless victim, giving his blood to pay for our sins. As John said in the beginning of his book, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What that means to you is that God knows everything about you and he loves you anyway and will give you life and forgiveness if you let him. I love that hymn that we sang at the closing of our time of worship, musical worship this morning. The love of God. I love that verse. It was the last one we sang. Listen to it again. Could we with ink the oceans fill And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. It's unfathomable how much God loves us. But I didn't get a new car and I prayed for one. But I didn't get healed and I asked him to. But all of that aside, you can spend forever in heaven redeemed. That's the greatest miracle, greater than any healing, greater than any new car. Heaven, forgiveness, eternal life. Do you have that? Have you experienced God's love? Are you living in God's love? Is it a daily part of who you are, experiencing it? You know, in order to do that, you have to receive it. God never forces himself on people. He always waits till he's invited. If you ever wonder, how come God never hangs around these parts? Have you ever asked him in? Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, but he won't kick the door and go, I'm here and I'm taken over. He'll wait for you to open the door to invite him, and then his love will flood your life. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your love. 
we could talk about it, sing about it, write about it, as we have for 2,000 years as a church, and still each generation is befuddled by that kind of incredible, selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love. And yet, you, Lord Jesus, told us, that's how I want you to love people. That's the standard. And it is possible because your spirit dwells inside of us. Lord, I pray finally for anyone here who has yet to make a relationship commitment to Christ to entrust you with their life. I pray they would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.